Hi everyone, it's Gabby LaPera. I'm just adding an editor's note to the beginning of this podcast. I realize I went through the entire podcast without telling you that BDC stands for Business Development Company. Now you know. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Monday, so you are listening to the Financials Edition, filmed on August 8th, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on the phone is Jordan Wathen, our resident BDC expert. Hi Jordan. Hi Gabby, how are you? Good, thanks. How about you? I'm doing alright. Are you super excited to talk about BDCs? Oh, I'm super excited. Um, That's awesome, because so am I. And we are a little bit past like um, right the beginning of earnings season, but I thought that it would still be really fun to do a show on BDC earnings. Definitely, no. I, I we can take a deeper look into a few of them. They've reported already, so yeah, this is gonna, this is going to be a great show. So I thought that we would kick off the show with kind of a look at the types of things that you should look for in BDC earnings, just generally things that you should know about, be aware of metrics that you should definitely take a look at every quarter. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. Awesome. So let's kick it off with net asset value. Um, as I understand it, net asset value is basically just assets minus liabilities over shares outstanding. Um, and this is a term that's used for both mutual funds and BDCs, correct? Correct. So basically, if we were talking about a, um, a bank or any other company, really, we'd, really, we'd just call it book value. But because these are funds, or closed-in funds, uh, it's called net asset value. Sometimes called NAV when you know you, I guess, speak out the acronym. Um, what is and a what? What's a closed-end fund? A closed-end fund is basically a investment fund that can't accept new investments. Uh, at least, it's not opening new investments all the time. So your traditional mutual fund is generally an open-end fund, meaning you can, you know, add a thousand dollars or take a thousand dollars out at any time. With a closed-in fund, the only way to put money in or out is to buy shares of the closed-in fund on an exchange. Okay, so how do how does net asset value work for something like a BDC or an open-ended fund? Are well, BDCs so with, open-ended funds? Well, I'm sorry. Are BDCs open-ended funds? No, BDCs are definitely not open-ended. They're they're closed-in funds, and the advantage there is because what BDCs typically invest in is illiquid. So the debt and equity of very you know of very small private companies is hard to buy and sell. So to run it as an open end fund would be dangerous because they would have withdrawal requests, for example, that they can't match up with asset sales. Oh, I so see. You, so they really need to, yeah, right. So they need to have like kind of a tighter control over investors' money in order to invest in more illiquid assets. So I have a question about net asset value and mutual funds versus BDCs. For net asset value and mutual funds, my understanding is that mutual funds actually trade at net asset net asset value, whereas BDCs don't have to, right? Right, exactly. So, the mutual funds, at the end of the day, they'll add up all their assets and liabilities and come up with net asset value. And uh, that's the price at which investors can buy and sell at the end of the day. But BDCs definitely, or and closed-in funds in general, definitely do not have to trade at net asset value. Uh, they can trade at premiums or discounts, and more recently now, they're, the industry by at large trades at a discount to net asset value. Um, so, why why would we want to look at net asset value? Well, the important thing about net asset value is to really look at how much money a share is worth, assuming that the BDC were liquidated. And the 
the important part is to just understand that net asset value is determined by is basically the value of the BDC assets minus its liabilities if the assets were sold, quote unquote, in an orderly liquidation, so in an orderly fashion. So if a if a company has a a net asset value on NAV that trades at a discount, that means that they would be that 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 you're getting less if they. Well, it, yep. Yeah, if it trades at a discount, theoretically, the BDC could close up shop, uh, close the stores down, sell off all its assets, pay off all its liabilities, and end up giving investors back more than the market price they paid. Okay, so you're looking for net asset values that tra- trade at a discount if you can. Well, ideally, I mean, usually there's reasons, right, that a BDC would trade at a discount to net asset value. But yeah, and you know, all else equal, you'd prefer to pay a discount to net asset value than a premium to net asset value. Or ideally, with BDCs, you're looking for something that is their net asset value matches what it actually is. It's just neither premium or discount. Right. I mean, yeah, in a perfect world. Right. Um, so then, another metric that we want to look at for BDCs is the non-accrual rates. Um, right. Yeah. Go ahead. So non-accrual rates basically tell you what percentage of the portfolio is not paying interest, or the BDC isn't accruing interest for that portfolio. So BDCs are pri- primarily debt investors, meaning that they're buying the debt in private companies, and if that debt isn't performing or they don't expect to be paid, they'll put it on what's called non-accrual, which basically says, "Hey, you know, this debt investment's were performing poorly. We don't expect." To you know, receive all of our money back. So we're going to put this on non-accrual, so we don't recognize interest as we normally would. So this is basically like the the same line in a bank's um, uh, sheets where it would say non-performing loans or non-performing assets. Right. Yeah. And banks put stuff on non-accrual, but banks are investing in totally different a totally different asset class. So in general, you know, I mean, I wouldn't put too much. I wouldn't try to compare necessarily what's going on with BDCs to banks. Uh, why not? <laughs> well, so so banks are primarily lending against assets. So when a company takes a bank loan from a bank, they might put up as collateral, say, real estate or I don't know, cars, leak cars, something of that nature. So the banks, in general, what goes on non-accrual, they're probably going to recover a lot of uh, the value. A lot, yeah, a lot of the value, right? But BDCs, they typically don't have collateral in the sense that they, you know, have secured assets. Typically, it's they're basically only secured by the value of the company that they're lending to. So, I think for listeners, just in case you don't know, BDCs generally uh, lend out money to smaller companies. It's basically a way of investing in a venture capital firm. Kind right. of. Yeah. Is basically what it is, as opposed to directly funding venture capitalists or you yourself being a venture capitalist. Um, that's really interesting. I know that the non-accrual rates, the ones that we're particularly going to be wanting to look at this quarter, are BDCs that have exposure to a lot of exposure to retail and oil and gas. Right. So you can imagine those are two kind of troubled industries. Uh, oil and gas companies found it way too easy to borrow money for way too long, and um, a lot of BDCs got sucked in, sucked into that. And now, you know, obviously loans that they underwrote, assuming that oil prices would stay at ninety or a hundred dollars a barrel, aren't worth nearly as much in an environment where oil trades for, you know, forty to fifty dollars a barrel. So this kind of leads perfectly into my next point. Um, one of the other things that you really want to look at when a BDC reports earnings is you wanna take a look at what's on their books. Like what are they actually investing in? 
Right. So unlike a bank, a BDC will actually break out every single solitary investment that it has on balance sheet. And then next to it, they'll have a description of the business. And, you know, typically a few words or, you know, just one line. And honestly, your best your best uh, way of understanding it is to simply type one of the portfolio companies' name into Google and then take, checking out their website because, you know, what, what it says next to it, it might say, this, is, this has been a common one that really annoys me, but when it's an oil services company, they might say it's just quote-unquote business services, but, you know, you go look and it's like, well, obviously they're doing something with pipeline, you know, so this has oil exposure, right? Yeah, so this is this is the best way to kind of gauge what kind of um, external risks the BDC is facing by looking at what their portfolio is made up of. Yeah, absolutely. And really, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily need to go down to the 100th largest company in the portfolio, but even if you look at the top 10 or top 20 names in their portfolio, you'll get a really good sense of what they're doing. Yeah. So, to summarize my points, or our points rather, uh, the three biggest things that you should look at when BDC earnings come out um, are net asset value, uh, is it trading at a premium or a discount, or is it actually what it's supposed to be? Uh, non-accrual rates, and um, what the portfolio looks like, the diversification of the portfolio. Um, right. So, just so people know, the the books that we're looking at, they all closed on June thirtieth, so it's c- kind of old. Uh, how much how much volatility would you say there is in a BDC's uh, portfolio? Um. Outside of oil and gas, there really hasn't been too many problems. There's been a few problems in retail. Obviously, retail hasn't been as hot as it. You know, I think I think that's kind of like a secular thing, right? Where uh, it's not a very good place to be to compete with Jeff Bezos of Amazon, for example. So, yeah. I mean, retail is going to be one that's hard pressed, and re- retail is fairly capital intensive. Intensive, so you know, BDCs are definitely in that space pretty heavily too. Yeah. Um, so. Let's do kind of an overarching review of things that have happened in the BDC space over the last quarter. Um, I know that we were talking about junk bonds earlier. Mm-hmm. So one one good way to get an idea of what's going on in the BDC space is to look at junk bond yields. And uh, actually, the Fed publishes very good data on this. Basically, it's called the Bank of America Merrill Lynch U.S. High Yield Option Adjusted Spread. And that's a mouthful, but if if you can just type that into Google, go you know go back to what I just said. Type that into Google, you'll get a look at junk bond yields over time. And when junk bond yields get really high, you you have an idea that the the loans that BDCs are going to make are going to be at higher yields. And when junk bond yields come in, you re, you have to understand that junk bond or the BDC loan yields are also going to come in. And why is down. that? Why are why are they related? Well, there's somewhat similar risks. Uh, in the sense that the stuff that BDCs are underwriting are loans to companies that would otherwise be junk or unrated. If, assuming that they were rated, they would be junk quality. Fair enough. Um, so, I guess the 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 wrap up for that is junk bonds are junky this quarter. Well, they were definitely junky. They've gotten less junky, right? So, they, they were, junk bond yields really blew out in February. I think the yields were, you know, above 9% for a very short time, which, you know, you'd have to go back to 2001 or, or two, sorry, 2011 to see yields that high. Mm-hmm. But and they've recently come back in, thankfully, because uh, oil prices have gone up somewhat since February. But that's yeah. definitely something to pay attention to. So the last quarter, essentially, the junk bonds kind of dipped down and then leveled out a little bit. Um, yeah, they, they, yields have come down in the last quarter, right? Yeah. So, also in the last quarter, um, it looks like origination fees are down kind of across the board for BDCs. 
Right. Um, BDC originations in general will go down when junk bond yields go up because when the cost of financing companies goes up, then there's less interest by private equity to go buy out companies and they don't have it, you know, and most BDCs rely on private equity funds to source the majority of their loans. So if private equity isn't that busy doing deals, then junk bond, or then, excuse me, then BDCs won't be that uh, active doing deals. So originations have been broadly down across the board. Yeah. And so uh, for our our less uh, deep dive listeners, I guess, uh, origination fees are a big deal to um, BDCs because that basically means that they have been writing new loans to add to their portfolio. Right, exactly. So, fewer origination fees means that their business is down, basically. Um, so, as a result of all these things, uh, most BDCs are trading at a pretty big discount to book value right now. Right, uh, definitely. And in some sense, it's kind of investors trying to speculate on future loan losses. Um, BDCs, unlike banks, do not take do not provision for loan losses. They take them as they come. So there's no basically embedded loss rates into BDCs. The only way to really price in future loan losses is pricing the BDC relative to net asset value. Right, which is why I think a lot of investors look at BDCs and they're like, "Wow, they have really high dividend yield rates. Like this is great." Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that they're super risky because not only are they investing in really small businesses or in things that other people wouldn't invest in, but they also don't really account for what their loss losses are going to be. Like they don't really hold stuff back, do they? No, no, no. So basically, when you look at a yield, it's typically a dividend yield. It might be in the ten percent area, but that's you know assuming that nothing goes badly. Which yeah. is just ridiculous. If you're underwriting loans that yield 10 to 14 percent, you have to assume that a very good portion of those are going to go poorly. Yeah, I mean, just to just to give a comparison, most banks the loans that they write yield around like right now between like I don't know, it's like three to seven percent. Um, yeah, which and, is and probably on lower. average three to four. Yeah, you know? yeah, seven is on the high end for banks. Um, but BDCs, much like REITs, they're required to pay out a certain amount of their earnings as a dividend. Um, so it's 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 one of those things that you're you're taking on a lot more risk in return for a dividend, and it's just something you have to be aware of. Um, so I just want to take a quick break to let you guys know that we have a phone number now, and if you guys want to be on the show, you can call the phone number and leave us a voicemail, and we'll play you on the show. I'm so pumped about this. I th- this might be a little bit ridiculous, but the number, just in case you're wondering to yourself, one eight six six. Six seven seven three six six five. Again, that's one eight six 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 seven seven three six six five. And if you call in, I would really like to hear either questions that you might have about financials, or um, I'm gonna go to China, Vietnam, and Cambodia in October. So if you have any suggestions for me, definitely call in and leave us a voicemail. Just do it. I'm so excited. I hope that you guys are excited about this too. The number again is 1-866-677-3665. Okay. So, turning our attention to BDCs that have actually reported. Um, first on the list is Apollo Capital. Well, yeah. Yeah, Apollo Investment Corp, yeah. Mm. So I'm sorry, Apollo report- Investment Corp. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. Is it they reported earnings and it's been much the same. It hasn't been good. Um, so, for the last eight quarters in a row, net asset value at uh, Apollo Investment has actually been down quarter over quarter. Uh, net asset value is down to 690 per share from 874 and that's just in the last two years, right? 
So Apollo Investment, they're definitely one that got high on the hog when with oil. And they've slowly tried to reduce their oil exposure, but it hasn't, you know, to the extent that they can. <laughs> but the, the damage to the portfolio has already been seen. You've seen where um, basically net asset value down for eight quarters in a row. I mean, that would be definitely an outlier in the business development company industry. Yeah. So as a result, they're kind of uh, pivoting. They're changing strategy. Um, right, right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they reduce their dividend, first of all, from 20 cents a share each quarter to 15 cents. Which and is they announced a like, responsible thing to do, if you think about it. No, definitely. It, it was probably a long time coming, right? There's only so long that you can defend a dividend while book value is down, because ultimately, the amount of money that you have per share in book value will determine the amount of income that you can make, right? Yeah. Per share. So, with book value in decline, it was very it was very necessary for them to cut the dividend, which they did, and they've laid out a strategy where now they intend to invest in lower, less volatile securities. I think basically speaking to say, hey, well, we're done with complex oil and gas investments. We're going to go to straight, you know, standard normal corporate debt for smaller companies. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other things that they had on their book that was always kind of amusing to me was aircraft leasing. <laughs> Right. In some sense, in some sense, aircraft leasing should kind of uh, soften the decline of oil prices because because older aircraft are worth more theoretically when oil prices are lower. But it, you know, with, with more than ten percent of their portfolio in oil, gas, it really didn't matter. Yeah. So I think the other thing that we want to look at with Apollo is that they recently received clearance from the SEC to do deals with their external manager. Right. So they received so-called exemptive relief, which basically means now they can invest alongside Apollo Global Management um, and another company by the name of Midcap to basically do loans together. So Apollo Global Management can basically feed it deal flow, be like, hey, you know, we need someone to underwrite this loan on this buyout. And Apollo Investment Corp can come in and say, hey, cool, we can buy it now because the SEC gave us approval. That's that's awesome. Um, just real quick, uh, external managers um, for BDCs. Do you want to describe that? Well, just yeah. So external management basically means that the people who make investment deci- decisions on behalf of the fund are not employees of the fund. So the people who work to make deals for Apollo Investment Corp actually work for a subsidiary of Apollo Global Management. Yeah, and this is really interesting because BDCs can have both external and internal managers, um, and it's generally preferable to have external, correct? Well, I mean, it goes back and forth. Um, You can make a case for internal management in the sense that there's no profit motive of um, an outside firm, so you don't have, you know, uh, agency costs or conflicts of uh, interest between the people who run it and the people who are investing in it. Um, you can also make the case for external management because external managers can't pay themselves ludicrous stock option compensation, which has been a problem with some BDCs like American Capital, for instance. Yeah, um, that's it's just really interesting. Um, BDCs are maybe some of the most complicated financial institutions out there. <laughs> I don't know if institution is the right assessment. word. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment, yeah. Um, so anyway, so now Apollo can um, do deals with their external manager, which is which is good. It should help buttress their their business a little bit. Yeah, I mean in general the more the more deals a BDC can look at in general, the the better its underwriting should be, right? The more choices you are able to make then 
the more deals you can say no to and the fewer you can say yes to, it's it's a better thing, I, I would say. Okay. So overall, all the things have been down for Apollo. Things might be might be on the upswing eventually. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, turn our attention to Triangle Capital. Um, they have they've they've been they've made a they've raised a lot of money recently, haven't they? Right. They they recently came to market and uh, issued new stock. It gives them about 120 million dollars in additional capital, plus more um, because there's an option to sell more stock, but. Yeah, they're looking to raise more capital, which is interesting because obviously deal flow and originations have been down, and they basically signaled on their conference call that they expect some uh, activity to pick up in the second half. And Triangle Capital typically does deals with private equity sponsors, and private equity likes to do second half and really fourth quarter deals, so we'll have to see if they can put the new money to work. Yeah. Um, Triangle Capital is also really interesting um, because the type of loans that they tend to specialize in are a type of loan called mezzanine loans or mezzanine financing. Um, And those tend to be much riskier, but they also have much higher yield, a theme that I'm sure you're becoming familiar with, with BDC investing. (laughs) Right. So, so Triangle Capital likes to make mezzanine loans. And mezzanine loans basically sit below lower yielding bank debt. So, a bank will come in and provide, you know, the the least risky leverage for a buyout, and then Triangle Capital will come underneath them and make a loan. And unfortunately, the mezzanine space has been kind of crowded. Um, there was talk on their conference call, too, about how uh, Triangle Capital's average portfolio yield, or the average yield on all their loans, has come in to 12.3%, and that's down from 14.8%. And that's because there's so much competition in the space? Well, yeah, right. There's so much competition, especially right now with what U.S. Treasuries yield, like, what, 1.6%, 1.7%, I mean, almost nothing. Yeah. So anyone, any, everyone's looking for more yield, and mezzanine as the yieldiest part of, you know, as one of the yieldiest kinds of debt out there has obviously attracted a lot of attention. Right, but much like the other BDCs, there, while there is the potential for higher originations, their origination fees have been hit a little bit um, because it is so much easier to secure cheaper debt. Right, and so like with Triangle, when you underwrite mezzanine loans, typically you can get something that's called like an equity kicker, so you get like a percentage of equity or warrant to buy equity in the company that you're underwriting which can provide a huge upside in the event you end up underwriting, say, like a Google 10 years ago, right? Right. Where you end up getting 3% of Google, and then, you know, 15 years later, it's a $300 billion company. That'd be amazing. I don't think, you know, you'll see that. But <laughs> but that's, you know, that's one of the things there. And another thing with Triangle Capital is they rely on uh, uh, debt from the Small Business Administration. They use what's called the SBIC program. And that's... That's basically, I think, where this new money is going to go to. Uh, with the SBIC, you can borrow very inexpensively. Uh, Triangle Capital be able to borrow something like $350 million at an interest rate of like 2%. So if you can deploy funds that cost you 2% at 12%, there's a huge margin there. That's there. incredible. Right. Um, Assuming, of course, no loan losses. So. Of course, <laughs> which, as we have covered in BDCs, is unlikely. Um, So, Triangle Capital overall is doing interesting things. We're going to kind of wait and see, I think. Um, Aries Capital, they've had some big news this quarter. Yeah, they've they've agreed. Well, yeah, they've agreed to buy American Capital. So, 
combined, once that deal goes through, their pro, their pro forma says they'll be a BDC with a balance sheet of about $13.2 billion in assets. Which is, which is huge. That's huge. huge. It's huge. It's big news because they are going to be the biggest BDC once they finish with this with this acquisition. Right. Right. They, they will by far be able to underwrite the biggest deals of any BDC, which kind of gives them an edge in a sense. Yeah. So, are there any other things we should look out for with Aries Capital? Well, with Aries Capital, I think just seeing how this deal goes through with American Capital, um, it, it just really just creates a behemoth. Um, luckily, the first steps have already been taken. Uh, American Capital uh, owned a had a subsidiary, I guess I should say, that managed the Emirates um, American Capital Agency. Uh, American Ap- Capital Agency has already bought out its contract, so step one's already done. Right, um, and just a quick quick note: Emirates stands for Mortgage uh, Real Estate Investment Trust, which is um, a type of REIT that is also kind of risky. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Instead of credit risk, it's rate risk. But yeah. yes. <laughs> Yeah, so, so mm-hmm. step one's done, and now it's just waiting to see, uh, basically, to see that deal go through. And overall, what's your opinion of Aries Capital? Like, what? How do you think that they perform in general as a BDC? Well, luckily with Aries Capital, we've we've had a really long record to judge them by, and they've proven to be very good underwriters. Um, they have gains and excess of losses, and they've been very smart about allocating capital. And truthfully, I think if you look at if you look at the BDC industry, they're probably a star student in terms of what they've done over time. So, I would only expect it to get a little bit better with a little more capital to play with. Excellent. Um, so, I think that we've covered we've covered everything that we set out to cover, which was uh, things to look at when you get BDC earnings, stuff that's going on in the industry in general, and three particular BDCs that have actually already reported. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think we've got it. Awesome. Um, I just want to remind listeners that with you should always do your homework when you when you make investments. But with BDCs, you want to be especially careful and make sure you really understand what you're getting into before buying. Um, if you're interested in learning more, there's a ton of content on Fool.com. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email if you want me to send you some articles to get you started. Uh, as usual, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Molly Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus or at our super exciting new phone number at 866-677-3665. Thank you, everyone, and I hope everyone has a great week. <laughs>